Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. The last stage recap, stage 21 of the Tour de France. Obviously, we're going to have a separate Tour de France recap podcast a beast just like the preview which by the way is still our most successful podcast ever but this isn't the end of the lantern rouge cycling podcast we're not just one and done here for the tour de france for the easy views and clicks and then we go away for a year no 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 we know that you need us more when the racing isn't covered as much bink bank tour giro d'italia world champs every single event in the world champs what else benji i don't know there's like so much racing coming up in the next two months until the middle of November. We're covering it all down to the one pro races, uh, Giro Rosa. I've been lining up an interview for the Giro Rosa last few stages and recap. I was doing that when stage 21 was on. We're covering all of that. So that's when we feel like there's a gap in cycling coverage. So we're going to be keeping the pod going just as it has been. So we hope you have enjoyed it for the tour, but you'll stick with us and uh, be along for the ride for the rest of the season. But in the next week or so, you can expect us to bring out Giro Rosa Last Stages Recap, World Championships Preview, Tour de France Recap, and then probably the World Champs will be getting straight into the actual events because they're coming up in the next week or so. I think the, the road races are in under a week. But back to Stage 21. Do you like this sort of stage, Benji? I'll, I'll give you my, my view on it after you've gone. But, um, yeah, do you like the procession, the ceremony? and basically just a 50k criterion for stage 21 of the tour? I can already expect what you're going to go for, but I like this. And it's because the Tour de France has this magic around it, and I feel like this is part of that magic. I would not like it if it was in other races as well, and that might be a bit biased towards the Tour de France then. For racing, my favorite Grand Tour is the Giro d'Italia, because, well, I'm an Ibli fan, and mostly he rides there, but additionally... I feel like the races are more 1v1s on climbs and such and more to the bone compared to the Tour de France where you've got more of the team play coming in than in a, another Grand Tour. And I feel like we've got more a commercialized feeling around the Tour de France and it reaches more people. I think this is a good way to end it. It's also iconic getting the peloton to Paris. Maybe you're meaning it in the sense that you don't like the criterium style of it. And, uh, well, I'm guessing that's what you're going to say, at least. Yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind the initial champagne thingy. It's not always very entertaining to watch, but it's tradition. And I've got the feeling that the last portion of this race goes so fast that it's not like I'm bored or anything when it's on the Champs-Élysées. So, yeah, I don't mind it. I enjoy it. Now, maybe it's because I grew up as an altar boy at church three times a week as a devout Catholic and now I'm excommunicated that I have some sort of deep-seated psychological aversion to, to, to tradition. That could be it, but, yeah, I hate it. I I think a race is a race, and I don't have a problem with the actual course itself. I mean, a flat course can be interesting too with technical corners, etc. Go you know, going around the Louvre and wherever in Paris, but I just don't like the fact that they don't race it. and if they want to do a show criterium or a sort of processional ceremony, they can do that as stage 
22 or the, the criteriums after the Tour de France where they show off the jerseys. Um, and uh, as I said in the podcast yesterday, if I was Jumbo Visma, I know it's probably 59 seconds, probably too much, but if it was a three second disadvantage, <laughs> I would have tried something if I was Jumbo Visma. And I know that's sacrilege, but I guess I'm coming at this as an Australian who didn't really grow up watching cycling the same way that maybe people in Europe did. I've come to the sport after being a fan of other sports first, and it's unusual compared to other sports. So cycling is kind of the odd one out. So that's why I, I don't really like it. Uh, but yeah, because I guess we're hardcore racing fans and I want to see racing. But it doesn't matter too much. I don't, I don't uh, lose any sleep over it, even though it sounds like I get pretty worked up about things. It is 121Ks, supposedly the stage, but really the first half, nothing too much happens. There's an intermediate sprint with 81.5Ks into the stage. I think Sagan was technically still mathematically able to win the green jersey if like Bennett crashed and Sagan won both sprints today. Uh, and then there's, yeah, they just do laps of the around the Champs-Élysées. And then there's the iconic sprint finish, which I've often said is where you crown the best sprinter in the world. And we're going to discuss whether the winner of today's stage is, in fact, the best sprinter in the world. Um but yeah, we saw UAE at the front um, riding some of the riders I hadn't seen for about three weeks. Benji, uh, I don't even I didn't know a couple of their names. There was obviously Dela Cruz and Palance. They did a really good job for Pagacha. But yeah, it was funny seeing them all lined up. Um, seeing Pagacha in yellow, full yellow for the first time. He's on that Colnago that they hastily painted yellow in time for today. So they UAE sort of road at 30Ks an hour on the front of the peloton for a while. But there was supposed to be something with Kevin Retzer, Benji. ASO put out this press statement saying that Kevin Retzer was going to lead out um, the peloton or ride on the front as part of like a symbolic gesture for Black Lives Matter. And it was really strange. I don't know what happened. He went to the front and no other riders went around him or spoke to him. And then he kind of dissolved into the background. It was really awkward and it was kind of a case of like, yeah, it was worse almost that they did it than not doing it all. Like doing it in the way they did was really ham-fisted. I'm not sure. Maybe I missed, did I miss the proper one or was that it? I genuinely don't know because I tuned in just after it, I'm afraid, because I I was waiting for it until they were on the Champs-Élysées. So I guess I missed it beforehand. I didn't even know they did it. I knew that there was a press communique about it, that they were planning something, but I generally uh, didn't know what happened, nor did I really know how it was going to happen in the first place. So, yeah, honestly, no clue. Yeah, a bit weird that they did that. Okay, well, I think you kind of proved my point, Benji, that the first half of this stage is not worth tuning into. Um, But (laughs) take us away from what actually happened when the sort of real neutral flag went down with like 50Ks to go. They were were attacked straight away. Honestly, I don't really remember everybody that attacked, but I know the most important riders that attacked were firstly Kirkler, and I think we saw the likes of Steven and such attack as well, but eventually one group got away, and that's, I think, Schachmann, Van Avermaet, Pierre-Luc Perrichon and another guy, Connor Swift from Confidence, uh, the um, okay, guy good. that has one pro win, British national champion. Is it Arkea Samsung? <laughs> anyway, we had that four-man four group go away, but yeah, you know on the Champs-Élysées that the peloton keeps it at about 
20, 25 seconds and then lowers it towards 15 when they come into the last 10, 15 kilometers. But it was a strong breakaway nonetheless. I saw Van Avermaet and Schachman really push it. There was one thing that obviously also happened among the parkour, the intermediate sprint, but nobody saw it. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> they forgot to show the intermediate sprint of the peloton. So, well, we do know that Bennett was the only one contesting it and basically got that fifth spot in the points and got that for free. But it's a bit of a joke that you're covering the Champs-Élysées stage and there's one intermediate sprint on the parkour of the Champs-Élysées. A fixed camera would work, but nah, not showing it. Not showing it at all. And it's a recurring issue this Tour de France, but I think we'll do that for the recap. What an experience. Anyway, let's not linger too much on the TV coverage issue and dive back onto the Champs-Élysées. We had a crash today. Edouard Turns didn't look too bad. He uh, looked like he hurt his back a bit, but got on the bike, got back to the peloton, and he uh, finished the stage. So everybody who started today finished, which is great. I've got no clue who won the KOM at the start of the stage. I don't think anyone really cared. I hoped for the memes that Kosnefa would attack, but that was unfortunately not the case. Towards the sprint, who are the teams that came forward for lead-out trains, and what did you see in regards to potentially Vanard coming to the front with his team? Well, Van Aert didn't really get a full lead. He had, like, Martin and Grondel Janssen, I guess, pacing for quite a while, keeping him up the front. But it was a case, like, again, of he wasn't going to get a proper lead-out at all. Uh, so well, Van Aert was left to his own devices. Same kind of with Christoph as well. I think Pogaccio was on the sort of maintaining pace, I think, for on the front for him for a little bit. Um, Koffer just did a pretty good job, actually, today. They did a much better job than I've seen previously for Elia Viviani. They were putting him in really good position. Kevin Retzer, actually, I've already, second time I mentioned him on this podcast. Kevin Retzer, I've seen up there in the mix as the last lead-out man or second last lead-out man, putting Cockard into good position. So, for the amount of money they're probably spending at B&B on that Cockard and Retzer and that lead-out train, they're actually pretty competitive with big World Tour lead-outs. So they've, I think, done a really good job this tour. I know they haven't come away with a win or anything, but I think he came third on one of the stages, Cockard. And, yeah, they, they really showed they did a pretty good job, I think, um, given the firepower they're coming up against. Obviously, Sagan was up there. Trek Segafredo were looking pretty good. They had Sturven as last man for Mads Pedersen, but it really was the quick step show. Um, they committed the whole team to the lead out. They'd marked pretty much every breakaway with Askren. Um, they were doing reverse lead outs with Askren and Alaphilippe sometimes. So, yeah, it was quick step were obviously eyeing the stage off 100%. And they kept Bennett pretty much in the first five wheels for. Well, I'm now thinking about the last sort of five kilometers, but yeah, they had they had Bennett in really good position the whole time in the green jersey. Obviously, wanting to get that Champs Elysees W. He's got that green bike they just brought in that they painted because he's won the green jersey. So really, I think the favorites for the stage were obviously Ewan Bennett, Pedersen was a favorite for the stage, genuine favorite, and Wout Van Aert. They were my four favorites. Ewan, I think the lead out, you know, De Boist, Kluger, and Frizom. He seemed to me to be left pretty far out of position really early. I think now fast-forwarding into the last kilometre, you've got Bennett with maybe two lead-out man plus, plus sorry, one lead-out man plus Merku in front of him. And you've got Pedersen with Sturvin sitting on that quick-step train. So that's a line of five riders really, really solid at the front. 
Christoph and Sagan and Wafana were kind of no Christoph and Sagan rather were fighting for that uh, Mads Pedersen wheel. You've also got like Hofstede, Cockard, Valshai sort of in the mix as well, and yeah, Viviani was coming up to the left of the quick step train and the left of Pedersen. So this was now in the last seven hundred meters, and Ewan was really far back, and I wasn't concerned initially because, well, Ewan has been really far back in a lot of stages and has been far back in a stage that he's won this tour. But he got detached from Kluger before they did the left-to-right chicane going into the last sprint straight on the Champs-Élysées and that kind of stuffed his sprint, honestly. Um, Kluger was looking around to see where Ewan was and he was sort of on the wrong side of everybody. He was really far back and there was no way through. So, yeah, it wasn't looking good for Caleb Ewan. What happened with the Case Bowl Sunweb lead up, Benji? Because I they've been probably the strongest train in this year's tour overall, and or one of the most prominent ones. But yeah, they kind of disappeared. Yeah, they came forward at the moment just before the last tunnel, and before that tunnel, I thought, well, they're looking good at the moment because they're in the right position. And then on the other side of the road, you've got the Koenig who just flew through it, Ala Philippe. And after that, I didn't really see the uh, Sunweb train too much anymore. So. It looks like they got caught in the same way that many sprinters got caught the moment that they went into the tunnel. And then after the tunnel, you've got that section that narrows out a bit. And because of that, the people that are in the middle get pushed to the back and the people that are on the side get a way to find, well, a gap through. And because of that, you saw the likes of Sagan and so on move up. In the end, Fanad was not in a good position anymore. He was definitely unable to uh, get into a position that is favorable to actually sprint properly so he also got ruined by the fact that he was in the middle of that road that narrowed and Viviani basically well he didn't block him because Viviani was pushed to the middle because of the people that go from the sides so because of that the people that are in the middle like Fanat there yeah we're not there in the sprint and they were not close enough to actually do something but the perfect positions were for Sam Bennett and Mats Pedersen with a lead out of Steven and also Marco in there. Yeah, Mads Pedersen, he, had, he can't complain about the lead out he got today. He was almost perfect. Um, they let Quickstep do as much of the work as possible. It was Merku, probably one of the best lead out men in this race. He's shepherded Sam Bennett and helped him for this green jersey. All these intermediate sprints over the last three weeks. He went through that first corner. You remember where Renshaw went, where they Renshaw and Cavendish got detached from the rest of the pelts on that last corner. Merku lit it up on the front and it really strung it out. And the pace he was able to put on there meant that it, it just wasn't possible for anyone coming from behind to contest the finish. Everyone in the front group, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Benji, but the riders who were like in the first six wheels in the last, in that corner on Merku's wheel, that was pretty much the top six apart from Merku himself. And yeah, he let it out. Sam Bennett was... You go and watch this from the corner on the side-on shot. The side-on shot actually does show it reasonably well. I do hate how they use the lateral shot on the Champs-Élysées as the primary shot in the live coverage because, like, they don't do that in any other race and they only do it because of that sick Renshaw, Cavendish and Greipel shot they've got a few years, like, for a few years, and they're like, okay, we should do this in the live coverage, but you actually can't see what's going on. Um, it's good once you know who's won, seeing how they moved up, etc., and the speed they were going. But you see Sam Bennett lose the wheel of Murku and go back and kind of, kind of fight 
Pedersen for Sturvin's wheel. He just like gets enough of a draft off Sturvin about third wheel. He's in line with Pedersen. And then Pedersen is on his wheel mostly, Sturvin's wheel. But then Sturvin moves over to the right-hand side to avoid Mertke, who starts coming back because he's finished his pull. And that then puts Bennett right on Sturvin's wheel. And he's then able to pretty much, yeah, once he kicks at the same time as Pedersen, um, and it was all over. Like, once Bennett had kicked about five or seven times, Pedersen had kicked to the left of Sturvin at the same time. And, uh, yeah, Bennett, no one was even getting close to Bennett. Pedersen, a very nice second. Sagan, I think, came third. Kristoff uh, fourth. Viviani, fifth. Van and Ewan, sixth and seventh, coming from a long way back. But, yeah, anything else you saw on that sprint, Benji? Not really, to be honest. Uh, I didn't see any people that were really moving up from the back. So I do believe that in this sprint, you didn't have an occasion where Ewan was, for example, 20 positions behind and then made up 15 in the last 100 meters to come like seven or something. So, yeah, it was nothing like that. The people that were in a bad position knew they were lost and they weren't getting to the front enough to actually get towards Bennett's wheel and pass it anymore. Mess Pedersen, really good sprint. He did it on the first stage, he did it on the last one. And I feel like they should really put some uh, effort into, well, completing his sprint because I've got the feeling that Trek has this weird strategy that they switch sprinter leader every single time. And we've talked about it before, if I recall correctly. So I just don't like that. I feel like you get better at something if you specialize in something in a part. And if Peterson has to switch between all the roles and Steven gets a sprint this time and this guy gets a sprint that time. You don't create an automatic system that flows by itself. You've got people that aren't specialized in that one thing. They are better at everything, but they're not mastering one of the skills. And I think if you really put invest in Peterson as a sprinter and properly have a lead out train that keeps doing it for him, you're going to have many more results than if you switch around, then let's dive and do it on the next stage and then turns on another. I just don't believe in that. It, it's specializing on one thing that makes a process better. And if three riders specialize on that one role, then I think they're going to have a better lead out train. And I think Peterson could win a stage. Yeah, I agree. Coming second on Champs-Élysées behind Sam Bennett is a fantastic result for Peterson. And he's looked very, very, very quick in these pure sprints. And... Yeah, we think of him as a classics man, I guess, because of his role in the result and world champs. But he's competing with pure sprinters in pure sprint stages. Look at stage one of this year's tour and now stage 21. So, yeah, I think I agree. They should commit commit to Pedersen as, as their sprinter and they'll probably get better results. Whereas Sturvin, maybe we've got eighth or seventh today. Pedersen's up there in second. So a really good result for Trek as well, especially given Richie Port coming third. But... That was the stage, Sam Bennett taking the win. Now, I think I said before the Tour de France that Ewan is the best sprinter in the world, and my argument for that was, well, he he won the he won on the Champs-Élysées last year, and that's where the best sprinter in the world wins. <laughs> Whoever wins there is the best sprinter in the world. Do you think, Benji, that Sam Bennett is the best sprinter in the world right now? He's won... What, two stages this tour? Ewan won, I think, two stages this tour, if I'm not mistaken, and three last year, so five stages in two years. I think it's really between them with Groenewegen injured, Jakobsen obviously um, recovering, 
and Gavidia's inconsistent Ackerman, I can't say is the best in the world given his drought before Torino Adriatico. We'll see how he goes in the Giro. But yeah, I think it's obviously between Bennett and Ewan. I'm not counting Wapan up there either. Um, sorry, Belgium. I, I, it's hard to pick between them actually because I know I'm going to sound like a homer and biased, but I am, I'm not being biased about it. I think you've got to, the quick step lead out has to count for something. Like look at Viviani compared this year compared to last year and other riders typically when they leave the, the cocoon of the quick step lead out. It matters a lot for your results, that lead out. And as we've seen with Pedersen and Trek, you are, you, you're not really, it's hard to win races without a lead out. Look at Wild Van Aert today. Look at Ewan today when he kind of got dropped off because he had, he's got one rider leading him out. It's, it's very difficult to win races without a lead out. And Bennett's got probably, you know, the best one in the world, or if not the best, the second best. So yeah, where do you rank Sam Bennett, Benji? I didn't really answer my own question. When I assess the strength of riders, I try to do so that in some kind of statistic way. I try to do so in a way that other people probably don't, but I've got a history of playing Pro Cycling Manager, which is a pro site, well, a game about cycling. And on that, riders have stats. And for example, I assess this in the sense that I feel sprints have multiple factors leading into it. You've got, first of all, positioning, you've got the actual sprint speed that you can reach. And you've got the acceleration that you can have to get to that sprint speed. For example, a Kristoff is lower in the acceleration basis for me, while a Ewan is a king in that. And then, for example, Bennett and Ewan are, for me, equal in sprinting. Now, in positioning, I think that's where the team comes in. And I think that's where, indeed, like you say, Bennett is basically golden with quick-step team behind him. We don't have to forget that Ewan basically lost half of his train, so... We can't really blame him for having a loss in positioning by his team here. But I still have the feeling that Bennett is better at getting in the right positions at the end. And it might be because he's generally larger and because of that can keep his position compared to people who, well, push a little in the sprint and so forth. And I think that's where he comes in better due to his team around him. I think you can't judge a sprinter solely based on this Tour de France on his strength alone. And I don't think you can always do that because they always say that this is the world champion of chip of sprinting. But when we get to the Dubai Tour, the UAE Tour, it's called now, well, we've got the world championship of sprinting there too. The morning of the last stage, they say, well, today is the world championship of sprinting. Like, at this point, you're going to name every stage the World Championship of Sprinting that has a flat finish. But I've got the feeling that in the Tour de France, they're basing it on their best form and they're sprinting with potentially their best form, I'm guessing, because I'm guessing that they're better in the Tour de France than they are in the UAE Tour. I do think that the sprints in the UAE Tour show better who is individually good at that time and can be better assessed. And because of that, you need to find like, well, it's hard to say, but you don't have enough sprints, straight up sprints in the Tour de France at the moment to judge whether one of the two is better because on one there's a hill, on the other there's a, a roundabout with about a kilometer to go that drops everybody's positioning back. To actually factor in who is the best here, you need it clearly on the screen. 
by a guy that drops the others by like two meters in Cavendish style, like Kittle did, like Ripple did that one year. But honestly, you don't have that anymore. You've got such a difference in the positions behind the winner as well that it's really hard to find a consistency. And for example, today, Viviani's back, fifth in the sprint. That's surprising, but it's because his positioning was good in this sprint. And if he has the experience to position him in this sprint well, in a sprint that doesn't have hills before it, because otherwise he wouldn't have been there probably. Yeah, he's showing better than he was in any sprint before. And I think that Viviani in today's form, for example, with the quick step train, would, would have been in the ideal position once again and would have had a better chance of doing something. I'm choosing Viviani as an example now. I know he hasn't been a proper sprinter in this Tour de France yet. It's his first good day. But I find it really hard to judge one of the two, to be honest. I think Ewan has better acceleration in sprints. I think they've both got the same sprint speed max. Caleb Ewan is better because of that on the shorter sprints. For example, if you have a corner with about 250 kilometers to go, like we had in that Giro last year, I think, the sprint he won against Ackermann. That stage, well, was ideal for Ewan because he was able to get around the corner, get to a proper speed faster than any other sprint today, and Ackermann did not have the acceleration to keep up. While Ackermann was one of the better sprinters that year as well, and surely was relatively on the level of you in that Giro. So, yeah, it's really hard to guess. Genuinely, I don't know who to name here. Why don't I choose Van Aert? Because we don't have enough to base on. He sprints only in this Tour de France and in the Tour de France last year. And outside of that, we haven't seen too much of his sprinting. He's not a bad sprinter. He's up there with the best in this Tour de France. But we can't judge well if his positioning is off today. And I don't think it's also maybe his own experience because the positions that he had in the sprint always led to him going further away because he chose the wrong sides of the road compared to the parkour that was coming today. So I feel like he's missing a bit of sprinting experience, Vanard, and he says quite a lot that he's sometimes afraid to go all out in the positioning part of things. So yeah, it's hard. I can't give a straight up answer of who is the best sprinter in the world and definitely not with two of my candidates being injured and out of the race at this very moment, which is, as you said, Kronwegen and Jakobsen. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good good way to look at it. it it's difficult to to really know which one's better. We, we can't even see their data. We can see their positioning and stuff like that on the, on the screen, but we can't even see really their data and see what their peaks, etc. are. And then there's also, like, obviously Bennett's doing way more watts than Ewan, but then Ewan's so much more aired at will. Maybe not so much anymore, but he, you know, he used to be so much more aerodynamic. That was where his advantage was. If Ewan was on quick step, how many more stages would he win? I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe quick step only works with like a big bulky sprinter, but Viviani's sort of not that bulky either. Ewan's got seven Grand Tour wins in the last two seasons, but Bennett's a really prol- prolific winner. You know, just he just wins so many World Tour races and professional races, Bennett. Um, probably more he wins more regularly than Ewan but when Ewan does win they're often the top shelf races so yeah it's hard to say off the top of my head and I don't think today really changed my opinion too much although Sam Bennett was extremely G'd up I'm really happy for him two stage wins you know he must have been worried at some points whether he was going to win a stage at all is a fantastic result for him taking home the green jersey as well just a great tour for Sam Bennett, Bennett and a pretty good tour for Quickstep. Um, 
Although we'll have to, maybe it wasn't, I can't remember. We'll have to do that in a recap podcast. But just to wrap up the jerseys for you all, Tadej Pogacar wins the Tour de France, obviously, takes on the yellow jersey, 59 seconds ahead of Roglic in second, his Slovenian compatriot. Richie Port in third, 3 minutes 30 back, taking home his first Grand Tour podium, I think. Sam Bennett wins the points classification. Oh, 90, 94, 96 points ahead of Sam uh, Peter Sagan. Pagacha takes home the youth classification jersey, six minutes ahead of Mars, and then an hour and 42 ahead of Valentin Madawa. <laughs> Pagacha wins the KOM jersey, eight points ahead of Carapaz. So he takes home three jerseys, and of course, Movistar wins the team classification, 18 minutes ahead of Jumbo Visma. So we could have banked that before the tour even started that that was going to happen. Lotto Sudal with 13 hours behind Movistar. Um, I think they had like Frizon, Bois, Ewan and Kluger were so far back on GC. <laughs> I felt so, they must have had the worst time in the mountains, those guys. But yeah, that's all the positions for this year's Tour de France. Um, after stage 21, obviously in Paris, we're going to do it justice with a proper recap podcast. We'll be doing things like who were the best, you know, who are the winners and losers in terms of the teams and their objectives for this year's tour. Obviously, UAE have, have uh, excelled beyond their wildest imagination and maybe some other teams went home empty-handed or not doing as well as they thought they would or as we thought they should have done. That'll be coming up in the next couple of days, obviously, because we'll do some good preparation for that. I want to thank you all for your support of the podcast. Benji put out a tweet, I think, today saying, like, we've had, I think, 15,000 downloads combined across all podcast players and YouTube, yet daily, 15,000 daily. So that's incredible. For reference, that's almost the level of some major broadcasters for their Tour de France podcast. And we started this less than a month ago. Our first episode was less than, yeah, maybe three and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago. And it's just me and Benji doing it all <laughs> from our um, from our, our respective homes, not from our mum's basements, as some of the, the comments say. So, yeah, thanks for all your support. That's an incredible level. Um, we'll probably have to get sponsors at some point because <laughs> we can't do daily Giro, Vuelta, whatever podcasts indefinitely. We, Benji's got a job and um, I'm flat out as well. But, yeah. We'll, we'll make that as painless as possible. And we're obviously, we, we just wanted to start this Tour de France podcast and just get it going. We didn't think about going out to get sponsors beforehand and then doing it. We just wanted to make the content and see whether people enjoyed it. And that is happening. So that's the important thing and that's happened. And, that, and that's what we're most happy about rather than anything else. Um, but yeah, have you got anything else to say, Benji? I'll let you sign off for everybody um, while I go get some sleep. Okay. So first of all, have some sleep. And additionally, in general, I want to thank everybody as well. It's been one hell of an experience. It's something that I wanted to do for a while, and I never really found a person to do it with. So on that note, I would like to thank Mr. Landon here, Mr. Rouge, actually, technically. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for being a part of this with me on this adventure through the uh, cycling days. And yeah, I've enjoyed it. And I hope you guys do as well. And in general, once again, thank you very much. If you like today's podcast and you are listening on Apple, then you can give us a five-star rating. That'd be amazing, honestly. On Spotify and such, that's impossible. But if you have some questions for us for the uh, recap podcast, just send it on Twitter or on Instagram. 
on Twitter, best with the hashtag LRCP hashtag. Yeah, I just said the hashtag twice. That's great. And that's roughly about it. Thank you very much. And I'll see you next time. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 